it's like there's a whole nother language with large multifamily syndication. If you can't speak it, if you don't know the terms, then the broker's not going to take you seriously. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, as always, on these uh, Wednesdays, we got Matt Jones. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. How are you, Todd? I am fantastic, man. Well, thanks for joining me, Matt. And we've been talking about apartments. We've been talking about how to buy apartments. We have talked about you know first creating your goals, getting started, just some of the basics. We've talked about underwriting. We've talked about building your team. We've been talking about syndication. Last week, we talked about your trip to uh to the Carolinas and meeting with brokers and, and the importance of actually meeting with your team and doing that. And so this week, Matt, what are we going to hit on? Well, after you've done all that stuff uh, and you've identified your market and you, you finally found a deal that you think could work, it's time to put an offer on it. So we're going to talk about the process for that. You got to make offers. You're not going to get deals unless you make offers. So First thing, yeah, we don't want to just jump the gun. I don't want you to just start writing offers. We got to go through that whole process. But I think fairly quickly in this, you get yourself educated quickly, right? The, the, you know, you should be reading books and listening to hopefully this podcast and, and many others. Uh, but then very quickly, we should be actually submitting offers. We don't get deals unless we submit offers. You can't buy a piece of real estate unless you make an offer to buy it, right? Makes sense. So, how do we do that? What do we do? Where do we go? All right. So first things first, like I said, we get educated. That's the most important part. And then we go through that process, right? We, we get communicating with brokers. Brokers are a big part of our team. And so we want to actually meet these brokers. When you're first talking and first meeting with brokers, make sure you know what you're talking about, right? You don't need to be a complete expert, but you also do want them to feel confident that you are a buyer. Multifamily, when we're talking large multifamily, over, you know, really over five units, but, but larger, uh, these brokers, they don't expect you to have a pre-approval letter from a lender. Lenders, quite frankly, won't give you pre-approval letters. Okay. So these brokers are looking at you. They're kind of trying to read you and understand, does this person have a chance to purchase that property? They're going to try to figure out what kind of equity you're coming with, you know, what, what your capital stack looks like. Have you talked with property management companies you talked with lenders, uh, you've talked with contractors, really, do you know what you're doing to get in? Now, there's many brokers that'll take a chance on a newer buyer, but they're not going to take a chance on a newer buyer that has no clue what they're doing. Okay. So you have to understand the process first before you're going in and talking with these brokers. Once you understand the process, be confident when talking with the brokers. I like to come to the broker and, and I like to position myself as an expert and also make sure that I position them as the expert in their field. So I'm going to tell them about why I'm excited about the, the specific market and submarket. I'm going to tell them why I'm excited about multifamily. I'm going to tell them what type of strategy 
I'm going to be doing. So value add, what type of value add, what does that actually actually mean? Um, you know, we're going to understand what type of property specifically we're looking for uh, and how much and how little we're willing to spend, all that kind of stuff. And then we want to ask the broker questions that positions them to be an expert in their particular field. And that's really important too. Yeah. And I mean, it's like there's a whole nother language with large multifamily syndication. If you can't speak it, if you don't know the terms, then the broker is not going to take you seriously. And you need to have realistic expectations and understanding of the market uh, that you're looking at as well. Yeah. And, and it's not crazy hard to get to know it and to understand it, but just take some time to do that. And, you know, practice too. It's okay to, to practice and to, to uh, one of the things I like to do and tell, tell other people to do, now, I guess I don't have to do it now anymore because I've been doing it for a long time, but uh, you call, call, instead of calling the broker's first th thing, you're going to end up calling property management companies. Okay? You'll call lenders, you'll call contractors, appraisers, those people in the market have conversations with them, right? And then you'll learn a lot. Ask them questions. They'll ask you questions. You'll get stumped. Okay, great. Now we go figure out the answers to those things. Now we don't get stumped the next time those questions come. So if you have those conversations first, and then you talk to the real estate brokers, the ones that are going to be finding you the deals, now you're a lot better off. I like doing that first. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you know, otherwise, if you go to just straight to the brokers and you don't know what you're talking about, they're going to blow you off. Yep. So let's talk under, uh, uh, sorry, let's talk offers. And it first comes down to your underwriting. So you get a deal, deal comes in your lap by a broker that you've built this relationship with, whether it's an on-market deal or off-market deal. By the way, make sure you're underwriting on-market, fully marketed deals and make sure you're putting offers on those fully marketed deals. Otherwise, you can't expect to get the off-market deals. So you get this marketed deal or, or, or off-market deal comes in your lap and you underwrite it, okay? And it's a deal where you're like, okay, this thing could work potentially. Now, what do we, what do we do next? Well, first of all, I think you need to come to the table with where is our max offer, right? We need to understand what our max allowable offer is. So figure that out before you even submit your offer. So, you know, you don't tell the broker, of course, you don't, this is part of negotiations, but understand where it is in your head. That gives you a place to not get emotional as the process goes and move that goalpost. So you have your strike price. Okay. You also need to decide what the ideal price is to start it. Now, this isn't like 2009, 2010, all the way to about 2013, 14, maybe, where we could write lowball offers, right? If, if the seller was expecting $10 million. I was coming in at seven, right? It's not like that today. If the seller's expecting 10, likely they're going to get real close to 10. Maybe they're even going to get 11, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have to decide where do we want to come in at and where our max offer is. I don't right now, those, that gap is pretty close, right? I might come in at 10 and my max might be 10.5. 
Okay. Sometimes, especially if it's off market, I might even come in right where I need to be. If I go, if I know the seller is expecting 10.5 and I know this thing's going to get really competitive, it just to get this deal wrapped up, if I'm okay with paying 10.5, I might come in at 10.5. I might even come in at 10.7 if I'm okay with paying 10.7, right? So we sometimes we just don't want to mess around. We want to get the deal tied up as quickly as we possibly can. Can let's not take time to negotiate because time is money and is potentially between losing the deal and gaining the deal. Yeah, and as I'm preparing to potentially uh, put in an LOI, I ask the broker what's the whisper price, and I ask them yeah. some questions about my assumptions uh, for my underwriting to make sure I'm getting an accurate depiction of, of, of what we're going for. Yeah. And I'm going to ask them, uh, you know, who the other buyers are, you know, even if it's, even if it's quote unquote off market, Hey, how many, how many buyers have you shot this to? Oh, we've shopped it to seven different buyers. Okay, great. Out of those seven, how many are making an offer right now? All right. So that's why I know how competitive we really are now. Can the broker lie to you? Yeah. The broker can lie to you, but you got to take that into consideration and understand who you're dealing with and, and go from there. So. Yep. And I've seen some uh, deals have like 75 different offers on them. <laughs> so. Yeah. I've seen some deals get crazy amount of offers and that's just how it is. And again, you got to have your strike price. You've got to know where you're coming in and, and where, where you're not going to go up to uh, or where, where your stopping point is. Um, one, one thing I'll, I'll say too, about when we talk about making offers um, before we dive deeper is sometimes it's okay to just to make an offer, even though you're a ways away from the whisper price. Um, or, or the offering price, uh, just to create a better relationship with the broker. So a lot of times if I'm off by a good margin to over 10%, I'm just going to talk to the broker and say, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty far off on this one, but um, if it helps you out, I'm willing to make an offer. Um, and a lot of times they're like, yeah, let's do it. Because that gives, that does a couple things. First of all, it might allow them to have an offer to bring to the buyer sorry, to the seller to actually talk him down from his price. Okay. The other thing it does is the broker said, we're going to be getting offers. Well, now they got an offer that they can present. It gives them credibility. So they like that a, a lot of times. So, but I, if I'm, if I'm far off, I'm going to say that's going to be the conversation. Hey, I'm pretty far off. What do you think? Uh, you know, I'm coming in at, you know, I know you, the, the seller's thinking 10 million, but I'm coming in at, you know, 8.6, you know, what do you think? Is, is it even worth it? That's my, that's my strike price, by the way. That sounds like a good way to add value to the brokers so that they're going to be more willing to work with you in the future. The more offers you write to an extent, but, but when you start writing offers, the brokers start to take you serious. They see that you want to buy properties. If you never write offers there, you're never on, on their brain, right? They never think about you. And if they're not thinking about you, well, then you think you're going to get a deal? Probably not. Yep, exactly. So once you got your price points and uh, your expectations, then you can write a letter of intent or LOI, which is the offer. And for your, you have a specific form that you use or the one that you created at least. Uh, how would somebody, how would our listeners find, uh, you know, the type of wording that they want to use for theirs? Yeah. I mean, I think how mine was created quite simply is I probably um, just 
went to Google and typed in, you know, commercial letter of intent, multifamily letter of intent, found a handful of them and just kind of combined them together and crafted them to fit my need. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's how I did it. I don't think there was anything special. Now I've had my attorney review it, just say, Hey, am I missing anything? Is there anything in here I need to add or take out? Um, and that's it. It's, it's fairly simple. Now you could have an attorney draft the entire thing. It's going to cost you a little bit more money. Um, but again, you, you want it to be special. You, know, you want it to be working for what you're looking for. Uh, but we want to include, you know, purchase price and some general terms. We want to include what we want to, to what our expectations are for due diligence, timeframes for closing timeframes for stuff like that. Most letter of intents are anywhere between one and three pages. And it's not a binding contract. It's not the purchase and sale agreement. So it's just the, the letter of intent to purchase and something we can kind of almost a handshake agreement. And then we go to the draft table for the purchase and sale agreement. Very good. And uh, do you ever include like multiple options for the purchasing? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you know that I do. Um, so, so good question. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it, it a little bit depends, Matt, on who my seller is, but I'm going to try to feel the seller out as much as I can to what they're looking to achieve and give them options. And so I have gotten, I've done a lot of different creative uh, purchasing and, and, and ways to write these up. And most of the time, the seller wants the straight, you know, cash offer, right? It, you know, what, what I'm going to finance it, obviously, but they, they don't want any type of creative financing to stay in the deal any which way. So typically, they're just going to want to get paid. Okay. But not always. Sometimes they're intrigued by this offer that is you know, 10.6 million, but they're going to stay on for a certain percentage of the equity share and keep some money into the deal, or they're going to do complete seller financing and you're going to give them a 20% down payment or 10% down payment or whatever you can agree to agree upon. So I oftentimes will do multiple offers with different types of strategies. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three um, and give them some options. Now, the more confusing it is, the more you're going to have to explain what's going on. Yeah. And I would say most banks aren't willing to have seller financing and a bank mortgage at the same time. Yeah. If you're trying to do that, if you're trying to do a, a seller uh, second, uh, you make sure that you talk with your bank first. The only one that's going to allow that is a local bank. And even then it's many of them, most of them don't allow that. Now, Matt, I've got one right now where we did a first and we did a seller carry back uh, and the bank allowed it. They did 75% loan to value. And then the seller carry backs an additional 10%. So I only had to put 15% down. Yeah, you mentioned a, a, a great uh, workaround, though, if the bank isn't willing to do that, a seller equity sort of stake in, in the property. How does that work? Right. So the seller's going to keep a portion of their profits into the deal. So let's say they make a 
$2 million on the deal. Maybe they'll keep $500,000 into the deal. As an equity partner, they'll get the LP, the limited partnership shares. And you could even give them a different limited partner, their own special share. So maybe their special share is an 8% preferred return. And you have to redeem those shares within three years or within five years or whatever it might be. Maybe they have no equity upside, or maybe you just treat them just like a regular investor. So however, whatever works for the deal to make the numbers make sense and to make the seller happy and to make you happy, that's what we can do. So we can get very creative in the deal. And I've got one right now that that's how we negotiate it. The seller is going to keep, um, in this case, it's only $100,000. It's a smaller deal, but they're going to keep $100,000 into the deal. They're going to get 5% preferred return with no equity upside. After three years, that we are going to buy their shares out. So we're going to pay them their $100,000 back and any interest that they haven't been paid to that point, that's 5% on their original investment. So that's a way of seller financing without seller financing. So on your letter of intent, you list out the different options and then the uh, seller can choose which one they want. How detailed do you get in there? Because it sounds like it can get pretty elaborate yeah, without it, it, Yeah. Uh, so like in this case, we, we weren't extremely detailed. We did have an additional sheet that we attached um, to it that was a little bit more detailed, but then we had a couple conversations with the sellers and their attorneys to kind of finalize exactly how it was going to look so they could get comfortable with, with the setup. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So once you submit the LOI to the broker, uh, then what happens? Yeah. I mean, that, then, uh, then you say your prayers <laughs> and uh, you, you, you wait to hear from the deal. Now, once you submit that offer, depends on what it is. If it's a fully marketed deal though, when we're talking about large multifamily, you're going to go into potentially several rounds of, of negotiations. So what'll happen is, is the, the first round submitted, let's say we got 15 offers that are submitted. They're going to pick the best, let's call it five. Okay. They're going to pick the highest five and the broker's going to call you up and go, Hey, congrats. Yeah. You made it to the second round. Uh, now's the time to raise your offer. A lot of times they'll kind of give you a little bit of uh, you know, we're kind of, ex we're seeing that just expecting it to go to, you know, into the whatever, 10.8, $10.9 million range. Uh, I know you're only at 10.2, but if you can get up there, you're, you're probably going to get to the final round or, or maybe get the deal. So then you go do that, submit. Uh, and then there's a third round oftentimes. And in that third round, and this could happen in the second round, depends on the seller. But in that second or third round, you're typically going to have uh, an interview with the seller the seller is going to be asking you questions and you're going to be able to ask them questions. The seller is getting comfortable with who you are. You're getting comfortable with the, them and the deal. They want to make sure you've actually seen the deal. They want to make sure you understand the deal. And they want to make sure you have actually have a business plan together. They don't necessarily care. You might go, well, why would they care? They don't necessarily care exactly what you're doing to the property. What they care about is that you actually have a business plan which means you're serious and means you're likely to get financing. And then they also want to know what type of business plan is it super aggressive 
Well, there's probably less chance you're going to get financing, right? If they're like, man, these guys are out of their mind. This is a C-class property, C-class neighborhood, and they want to do all these crazy things to it and make it into an A-class. There's no lender that's going to touch this. Yeah, they do want to pay us 11.5 million, but there's no way they're getting it done, right? So they want to understand what's going on in your head to understand, do they want to even sell it to you? Um, does it make sense? Do they feel confident you're going to close? Yeah. And I think that's the key. They want to make sure that you're going to be able to close. So it, it sounds like not all the time, the highest offer is going to be accepted. It's the deal that they like the most for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. And not all the time, the highest is going to be accepted, but typically you've got to be at least pretty close. Right. So, you know, if the offer is, if your offer is 10 and the next, the best offer is 11.5, you're probably not going to get it. Like, unless they think that offer at 11.5 is just out of their rocker, you're probably not going to get it. But if, if you're at, let's call it, you know, 11.3 and they're 11.5 and they feel way more confident in you, there's a good chance. Even though you're you're under by a couple hundred thousand dollars, there's a good chance you still get it. So in your letter of intent, how do you make your offer more attractive to the seller? Yeah, good good question. And one of the things that I like to do is I put my bio in there. I put um, my bio, I put my property management company's bio in there. Uh, I put my broker, my, um, sorry, my, my mortgage broker's bio in there. Uh, I'll put my contractor's bio in there. So anybody who's going to be a part of the transaction, I'm going to put their bio in there um, and give them kind of a reason why we are a strong buyer. So I, I want them to know who we are and want them to feel good uh, about selling to us. I think that's really important. Make the letter of intent really clean, right? Uh, the other thing that you can do, you can do a couple of things. And this is the, all depends on the market and how bad you want the deal. Short, short and due diligence periods. Typical due diligence is anywhere between 30 and 45 days. Okay. If you want to shorten that up, that's attractive. Okay. Hard earnest money. That's really attractive. So what that means is you typically have earnest money. The higher amount you go, the more attractive. So you know, I got a $10 million deal, $100,000 is pretty typical, but Hey, if I want to make sure you think I'm, you know, I'm serious, maybe I'll do 200,000 or maybe even $300,000 and hard means that I'm going to go hard with that earnest money early. So maybe it's, maybe it's day one. Look, we tie this up. We have a, by the day that we sign this purchase sale agreement within a day, I'm going to get you $300,000. And guess what? I don't get that back ever. No, regardless of what happens, I don't get that back. Now we'll put some clauses in there. Says like, if there's a tornado that rips the property apart or, you know, something like that, or the sellers neglects the property, you know, that type of stuff. But for the most part, we don't get that a dollar back of that. Or we might make it uh, a deal that I've got uh, that I did recently. It's um, our due diligence period. We put $25,000 hard the day, actually it was five days after we signed the purchase sale agreement and the other $75,000 goes hard at the end of the due diligence period. So they had $25,000 they knew they were gonna get no regardless whether we walked away at the end of the due diligence or not. So that strengthens your offer. 
Uh, shortened closing periods can strengthen your offer as long as they're within reason. So, you know, typically we're anywhere between 60 and 90 days. Um, so if you're in that 70, 60 to 75 days, that's going to help strengthen your offer. Um, th those are some, those are some definitely strategies to, to be able to make it work. So the mortgage brokers will have a call for offer date when the offers are due. Does it make a difference of when you submit your offer? Like if it's early or right at the deadline? Um, you can ask them, you can ask the, uh, the broker if they're, if the seller is interested in preempting uh, or if they're going to go through the process. Some sellers are very committed to the entire process. They, they don't want it. They don't care. You write your offer on, you know, May 5th and the offers aren't due until May 15th. They might look at it, but they're not going to respond to you. They're going to wait until May 15th. They're going to wait until May 17th, just in case one or two come in late. You know, so you just ask, ask the, ask the real estate broker what's going on. Like do, do, will they look and negotiate on offers that come in early? Never hurts to come in early. It only hurts to come in after. <laughs> so. Fair enough. All right. What else are we missing with uh, putting in offers? Um, I, I think, uh, I, I think, don't worry about finding that perfect deal. Find deals that work. Have your criteria, come up with your criteria, what works and buy deals that work. Don't worry about buying the perfect deal because the perfect deal just doesn't come around very often. Someone else will buy it. Someone else will pay too much. And, not, and no, that perfect deal now is no longer a perfect deal because it went for too much. So uh, the other thing is, look, learn, learn to communicate and negotiate. Negotiating with the, the, with the seller, with the brokers, uh, learn how to do it. I think that's really valuable. You will find that you can get these properties for cheaper, especially the off-market deals, if you learn to negotiate on it. And again, we're in a tight market right now. So you have less negotiating that you're able to do, but it's still valuable. I recently have put several deals under contract and because I know how to negotiate, I've saved myself hundreds of thousands of dollars on those properties that I otherwise wouldn't have if I didn't know what I was doing. So, um, so learn, learn to do that. There's Chris Voss has a great book, never split the difference. There's several other books that, that can teach you how to do that too. Uh, the other thing is build rapport with the seller, build rapport with the broker. People trust you. They want to do business with you. So make yourself easy to do business with. I always offer to have a conversation with the seller. I always offer the broker to set up a Zoom call or if you're local, you meet face-to-face. -face. I always offer to do that. A lot easier to do business with people you have actually talked to and can trust. Um, and then we already talked about, you know, being creative. I think that's really important too. On average, how many LOIs do you have to put in in order for one to be accepted? You know, I don't think there's an average, Matt. I, a lot. I guess a lot is the, uh, uh, the average. 
there's been times where I've put in 50 LOIs and haven't gotten one. And there's been other times where I put in an LOI and I get it and I put in another LOI and I get that one too. So I, I don't know, 50, <laughs> I don't know, put in a lot. You have to go through the numbers. Yeah. It's, it's a numbers game. Look, I, this, this is a tight market. There's no hiding around what we're, what's going on in this market. And so don't expect to get these offers and don't get discouraged that you're not getting them accepted. I see a lot of people like, Oh, I'm just, I'm ready to give up. Uh, I'm, I'm done with this market. I'm going to wait until it changes. What happens if it doesn't change? Right. There's, there's several people I know that stopped buying in, you know, 2015, 2016, uh, 2017, 2018. I know people that I, I bet I know at least eight people, 10 people, maybe even that have stopped buying real estate because the prices have gotten too high. And some of them have been waiting for six years now to buy real estate because the prices keep going up. Now they may look really smart in the end, but how much equity, how much opportunity do they miss? And what's the likelihood that things would go south on them if they bought the right way, right? If they bought the way we talk about for cash flow long term and uh, and setting yourself up for success. Yeah, great advice. Cool. Get those offers out there. You're not going to get deals if you don't write offers. So get those LOIs out, make your offer and, uh, and go from there. Say a prayer. Well, I'm excited. Let's uh, get some more LOIs in. Let's do it. All right, Matt, you have a fantastic rest of the day. Make every day Saturday. Thanks. You too. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.